Well, good morning again. Before we get rolling this morning, um, there's two things I want to mention. One, when I was lost at Disney World, nobody prayed to find me. So that's a good thing, right? <laughs> but the second thing, and this is a serious matter, it is Veterans Day. And we want to spend a moment and say thank you to those who have served, uh, whether you're retired um, or whether you're active duty, uh, or and, and if you are a family member, immediate family member, mom, dad, or have a, a, a brother or sister, uh, husband, wife, whatever, in the military, it would be National Guard, Coast Guard, Marines, Navy, Army, I think I got them all, Air Force. And so what we want to do is ask you to stand up for a moment, and we just want to say thank you. If you would stand up if you have served or are an immediate family member of someone who served, let's just give them a hand. Wow. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate all the sacrifice you made. You guys have a seat. And uh, the family members, I, I think back, and I, it was a, there was someone in our first service, and this guy had to be no more than 21 years old. And I was thinking, at 21 years old, this kid is, and he's a kid to me, uh, serving in the military, sacrificing all that. At 21 years old, I had no business doing that. Uh, and I am so grateful for people like that. And we got one of our guys about to miss Allie. I'm going to just pick on you for a second because we are so thankful for Trent. He's at basic, and when does he graduate? The day before, th- a lot to be thankful for right there. And we're so grateful. So Trent, hopefully we'll get back here in his military uniform and we can just make a lot of him when he comes. You tell him we're praying for him. Let's take our Bible this morning. Let's turn to Ecclesiastes. Uh, we are about part seven in a teaching series through this book. I want to kind of give you a heads up on some things that are happening. Ecclesiastes, we're going to finish this book of the Bible. And then in January, we're going to start First Peter. Does that sound good? My objective as your pastor is for you to know Scripture, but also be able to apply it. And as we walk through these different passages of Scripture, uh, specifically as we walk through Ecclesiastes, it has been a journey for us. Ecclesiastes is what we call wisdom literature. And like all wisdom literature, Psalm, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes and and parts of Job, I would say as well, it's written as a poem. And we get to chapter 7 in the book of Ecclesiastes, you're going to see a poem format and we're going to do our best to crack this code. Martin Luther, one of my spiritual heroes of the faith in the 1500s, once said, Ecclesiastes, I cannot figure it out, but I'm going to beat on it until it yields. And what we've been doing in the course of this study is really trying to understand the depth of what the author is saying. Now remember, if you haven't been here at all for this teaching series, the author of Ecclesiastes is one of two people. It's either King Solomon or someone very close to King Solomon. The reason we say that is he's writing it from a perspective of saying, I had all of this, I did this, and this is what I've learned. Let me give you a better example. Have you ever given anyone the advice, don't do this because I've done it? Y'all ever done that before? That's what he's saying here. The book of Proverbs is very different. Do this and this will happen. And so there's three phrases that we learn throughout the entirety of of the text. One is the phrase, under the sun. Under the sun means a manward way of living. It says this over and over again in the text. You're going to see a little brief part of it this morning, but in all of our teachings teachings on this, under the sun living has come into clarity for us. Under the sun is a manward way of living. And when we live under the sun, another phrase we see in the book of Ecclesiastes is that life is meaningless, meaningless, everything is what? Meaningless. Meaning is no purpose. And so the author is saying we need to have a different perspective. A different way of living, and this is called under the heavens living, meaning a Godward direction. And that's what we're pushing toward. Now, this morning is a bit different. 
because we're going to pause for a moment. There's a transition in the book, and we go towards a more peace-driven way of living. And in chapter 7, where we're going to be at, we're going to talk about wisdom and how to gain that wisdom because wisdom is what we all yearn for and need in order to make it in life. Now, a couple years ago, or really last year, I decided to take a leap of faith and I was going to transition my coaching career. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I am a certified, I'm not even certified, I'm certifiably a coach for kids. I have a son, I've coached him, I have a daughter, I started coaching her last year, and I decided to put my toe in the water of the world of girls softball. That's a different type of intensity. Any of you ladies play girls softball? I walk in, I've got 10 U, that's 10 and under, they're on my softball team. I've been coaching middle school boys for years, and I walk in and I start coaching these girls in softball. I had no idea what to expect. I turned to the dugout at one point, and everybody's crying. I had no idea what to do with that. My wife goes, you know all the girls are crying? Yep, and they're all yours, and I walk away. I have no idea. I mean, it's just a different world, but the intensity level's more. They're meaner. I mean, they're actually throwing the ball at people, not at gloves. I mean, they take the bat when they go down the first baseline, but no, I'm just kidding. You think that. But I learned so much in this journey, and, but I, I know nothing about this stuff. I'm having to read. My, my, uh, my father-in-law is a big-time baseball softball coach, so I'm calling him up constantly trying to figure out how to do this stuff, and the girls I have on my team are just legit awesome. I love these little girls and um, getting to be with them, and but I'm, I'm constantly like trying to stay one step ahead of them, so my daughter and I have to go pick out a brand new glove. Now, do you remember your first glove, your first baseball glove? You know what I'm talking about? It's about this big, you know what I mean? And, and, and you're not strong enough to squeeze it. Y'all remember that? Uh, probably made out of plastic, and you go out in the yard with somebody, and, and, and for me, if I'm throwing it at my daughter or my son, I'm just praying that they knock it down because there's not, they're not strong enough to squeeze it yet. Well, that's the kind of glove my daughter had, and I thought that's what you needed because I talked to my expert father-in-law and said you need a 12-inch glove. And so I go to Hibbit Sports. My daughter and I are looking at the wall of all the gloves, right? And there's like as many gloves as our Campbell's Soup flavors, you know? It's just so much, and it's like, what do I get? I know i got to get a 12-inch glove. Well, this dude comes and stands next to me, and I'm like, well, there's a 12-inch glove, Caroline. Let's try this one out and put it on her hand. Does that feel good? We've got to break it in good, get some oil. I'm acting like I know what I'm talking about because I slept in the Holiday Inn the night before. And so the guy goes, no, 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 no. She can't use that glove. And I'm like, well, who are you? You ever have anybody just give you random advice? Like some of you ladies has had babies. You know what I'm talking about. You're carrying it a little low. You better not touch my belly. You know, that's what my wife was at the very end of the pregnancies. And, and so we're standing there, and I'm like, okay. And he goes, no, she needs this one. And I'm just like, look, bro. I mean, he goes, I'm a travel ball coach. Well, I'm a 10U ball coach. What's up with that? We don't have to travel. We're so good, we stay in the same place. And so we're there, and I'm like, and so I decided to bust out my father. And my father-in-law, I don't know if you know this, and I mentioned his name. He's legendary. Do you know who he is? He didn't. And so, you don't either. And so, he's like, well, this is this. And I'm like, whatever, man. He goes, fine. And we kind of had a little moment there where it was like, you know, I'll bow up, he'll bow up, and then we walk away. And uh, then the 17-year-old clerk, the guy who's working on the floor, goes, well, she needs this glove. That's what he means by 12-inch. I totally misinterpreted There's 12-inch small, then there's 12-inch big. So, in the moment, I had to turn around to the guy and say, yeah, you know, kind of kicking rocks. You were right, I was wrong, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be a jerk. If I can't, oh no, it's fine. You know, he's like, you were a jerk, but I won. That kind of thing. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys are more concerned about being right than being wise? Y'all ever have that problem? 
We're more concerned about being right about a situation than gaining wisdom about something, right? Now, here I'm going to give you an example. Any of you married? You know exactly what I'm talking about then, right? So many of us, we're more concerned about being right than being wise. And what we're going to be dealing with for the next few minutes together is just have a conversation about what it means to grow in wisdom. Now, we left off last, last week at chapter 6, verse 12. And I want to read that because it kind of introduces the things we're going to talk about. Let's throw that up on the screen. I want you to notice what it says here. For who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow. Real encouraging, right? Then he says, who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they've gone? So what he's saying here is under the sun, live, under the sun living, basically at the end of it, is totally meaningless. And we just need to accept it. But then we go into chapter 7, and he gives us this way of wisdom. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to start out by giving you the imperative, by giving you the command of what to do, okay? And then we're going to go backward and fill in the blanks. So I want you to skip down to chapter 7, verse 11. And I want you to notice what he says here. He writes these words, and he says, Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing. And it benefits those who see the sun. Now, understand the difference there. He's not talking about under the sun. He's talking about as you live your life, wisdom, like a good inheritance, is going to benefit you. Now, all of us dream about that long-lost uncle that lives in Madrid that just passed away and is going to leave you billions, right? I'm just going to be, just, can I just be honest with you? He ain't there, all right? But here's the thing. What he's saying is a good inheritance is not as important as godly wisdom. So important to grasp this. The point is, be wise. And he reiterates a little more in verse 12. Notice what he says. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Do you see that? Really important. That's an integral part of our passage and our time together this morning. So what we're seeing here is three things about wisdom. One, it preserves you. Do you see that? Two, like money, it shelters you. Much more important than money. So it shelters you, but not only that, we'll go back to verse 11, it provides for you. Wisdom is a provision, wisdom preserves, and wisdom shelters. Now when I think about the mistakes in my life, I don't know if you feel this way, I think about those things and I see when I do act in wisdom, it is a strength, it is a shelter, it does guard me, it does preserve me. I mean, there's things that I've done in life, and by the grace of God, I'm here. But as I've grown and hopefully matured and gotten wiser, I don't do those stupid things anymore. And then it provides for us, because when you have wisdom, you know where to look, you know decisions to make, you understand discernment, and you get leadership. The question is, what is wisdom, and how do we get it, Right? Now, the Bible gives us a clear answer on this in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. And we're going to launch there, and we're going to go backward into the book of Ecclesiastes. But I think it's important that we begin to, really, our conversation together by understanding what Proverbs says. Chapter 1, verse 7. Get this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Knowledge. Knowledge and wisdom are the same thing. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And what he's saying here is that the beginning of knowing, the beginning of wisdom is fearing God. Fearing God means to revere God, to see that he's awesome, to see that he's powerful, to have a belief system in which your life centers around Christ. You get that? Now we're going to connect that back to Ecclesiastes because there's under the sun living and under the heavens living. You remember that? When we're living life under the sun, there's no fear of God. But when we're living life under the heavens, there's wisdom. You get that? 
But how do we get wisdom? What does it look like? First step is Jesus. But let's say you got that. You're here this morning. We're going to preach the gospel. You're going to hopefully understand it. If you don't know Christ, you'll make a commitment to know him. But ultimately, knowing God, having a Christocentric way of living, hopefully leads to a better pathway of wisdom for you, for me as well. But what does that specifically look like? Let's go back to verse 1. And let's begin to dissect this and understand what it's, what it's saying to us. Get verse 1. Notice what it says here. Chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume. Now let's stop here. In that day and age, I want to let you in on a trade secret in the Bible. People didn't have deodorant. Did you know that? Just FYI. That's a relatively new thing that we all need to praise God for. All right? Soap was not readily available, if available at all. And clean water was not something uh, that people had access to. That's why they had to drink a low dosage of wine because it was low in alcohol and it cleaned out uh, any bacteria or anything like that that people could drink. So the thing that we got to understand here is for people to smell good, they put on the first essential oil, for those of you that deal with that, all right? This is the first one. And it gave them a smell that covered up all the bad smell. And it was very, very expensive, very expensive. So if you had someone around you that smelled good, they were wealthy. And a lot of people, like you and I in our culture today, we, we yearn after or we strive after those things that are stuff. Does that make sense? And what he's saying here is this. A good name, a good reputation is better than anything you earn. And then he goes on to say next in the same, in the same phrase, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. Now, I've been to a lot of funerals and I've been to a lot of births. We've welcomed children and we do this every Mother's Day. We fill the stage up with babies and we dedicate them and their parents to the Lord. We've also performed funerals in here. And it just doesn't make sense to me how birth is not as good as death. Death is better is what he's saying here. And he's saying this from two perspectives. And I want you to really grab hold of this and understand this. First of all, the first perspective is if you live your life under the sun and everything is meaningless, then you're going to welcome death because it's finally over, right? It is a blah way of living. But the second perspective is if you are a Christian, you're going to welcome death because just as Christ welcomed death and give us hope, we have hope meaning that life ever after gets so much better. So much better. We're about to enter into Christmas. Some of you crazy people have already decorated your home. Some of you have got all your stuff out. You're getting ready. You're going to griswold this thing up. You're going to put the lights out and the Christmas tree out and the packages are going to be just perfect. Everything, Black Friday's coming and that's a national holiday as well. Forget Thanksgiving. We're going to skip that and just camp out, you know? Crazy. Here's the thing. All that's said and done is that you need to get that across the manger is a shadow of a cross. That while we are excited and we're thankful that God came to earth, that Jesus was here, the thing we rejoice in more is that Christ died. Because that's your forgiveness. That's your hope fulfilled. Thomas Boston, a, a, a 17th century pastor and theologian, said this about the Christian. I want to read this to make sure I get it completely right. He said, for the Christian, in the day of his birth, he was born to die. But in the day of his death, he dies to live. Isn't that good? Death is better than birth, is what he's saying here. 
And he goes on a little further and he says this in verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Meaning is that when we have the perspective that one day it's over, hopefully your life was taken seriously enough that it counted. A little bit further here. Frustration or sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart, meaning when you understand your mortality, you understand that life counts. Finally, verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of pleasure. So what is all this saying for us about wisdom? It's saying this. Put on the cologne of character. To be wise means you have to see that there is an end in sight. And there's beyond that in Jesus. But while we're here, let character and integrity fill our days. It's the fiber of mankind. It's what we do right versus wrong. Character matters. Go back to verse 1. What does it say? A good name is better than a fine perfume. And when we look at life, that there is the end in sight. The pleasures that we experience are nothing compared to what we encounter through our integrity, through our character, and how we live our life. Put on the character of Cologne. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach me, Lord, to number my days. And when we're numbering our days, there's a reason for that. When we number our days, we know that today counts. Do you get that? There is wisdom in that. A ton of wisdom. I've been to, and you have too, I've been to good funerals, I've been to bad funerals. You know the difference, right? And so the funerals I've, I've been able to experience that are good funerals are those funerals for people who knew Jesus, and there's an atmosphere of hope in the room. No matter how tragic there is, there's hope that there's something after. 100% of the time, guys, I, I'm just not, when there's questionable and we're not knowing if they knew Jesus, then the atmosphere is totally different. Totally different. Um, we've all had those teachers before that have impacted our lives. Many of you are teachers, and I want to say thank you for you because your calling is unbelievable. And how you invest in students' lives, you have no idea the impact you're making. Perhaps never. But there was a coach in my life uh, that impacted me and so many thousands of other students. He was a history teacher. I love history. was a history major because of this guy for a little while. Then I learned you had to learn another language, and I was like, I'm going to switch that. Um, and uh, so, but loved, I mean, just, just poured into his students, loved Jesus. He grew up with my parents, so his reputation was great. Stayed in the same community and taught high school there for 30 years. Um, and uh, he, he was a strong believer, had a picture or a bumper sticker or something in his classroom. I'll never forget seeing it every day I'd walk in. And he, 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 he said, as long as there, is, there are tests in schools, there will always be prayer in schools. I always thought that was hilarious. That was just kind of his way of pushing back a little bit. But incredible reputation. Um, and it, several years ago, um, he dropped dead middle of a te- middle of teaching. And um, the impact that he made for Jesus on his students, on those athletes he coached, was unbelievable. And at his funeral, the pastor got up. And, guys, the funeral was unbelievable. Uh, I couldn't even get in. I couldn't go. It took two hours just to see the family at viewing two days before. And the sanctuary was so packed, and the Sunday school rooms were packed, and the fellowship hall was packed. I mean, 
people were there to honor this man. The pastor got up and said, I've only said this about one other man in my entire ministry. He'd been doing it for 30 years. He said, here is a great man. And why do we tell this story? It's because your legacy at the end is far more important than your legacy from the beginning. You put on the cologne of character. So important. Teach me to number my days, dear Lord. So so important for us to grasp those things. But we go a little further into the text. So if we, we think about wisdom, it begins by the choices we make, the character that we have. But we go down to verse 5, and I want you to get this next part. It's better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is what? Meaningless. Now I want you to get what's happening here. He's saying basically this. It's better, to be, it's better to be rebuked by someone that has wisdom in their life than be affirmed than those who are fools. And I love the phrase here. Let's go back up to verse 5. Notice what it says. It says, um, it's, it's, it's better to, to heed the rebuke of a wise person but than to listen to the song of fools. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys drive down the road and or something comes on the radio, you haven't heard this song for 30 years, but you can just say it. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all know exactly what I mean. We like, to, we like to embarrass our children. We think it is one of those things that is a right of a parent. Y'all feel me on this? And so we'll turn on 80s or 90s radio, and we'll drive down the road, and all of a sudden Spice Girls come on. And I'll go, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. And then Sarah Beth will finish it. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. And the kids are like, shoot me. It's so great. It is so great. But then it's like vanilla ice comes on. Then you roll down the windows and you slow down. And it's like, take heed. I'm a lyrical poet. Miami's on the scene just in case you didn't know. You know exactly, you know what I mean. Y'all, y'all are exactly what I'm talking about, right? Here's the thing. How many of these stupid songs do I know? It's just... It's just second nature now. But the Bible says it's better to be rebuked by a wise person than listen to the song of fools. I got a lot of fools in my head. You do too, right? Here's the point. Wisdom means you become teachable. We don't like to be taught. We don't like to be told we're wrong. But godly wisdom means we have to come to others in a humble attitude and be ready to learn. If we want to become wise, we have to become teachable. 1 Peter 5.5, notice what it says here. Important passage of Scripture pertains to that. He says, in the same way, those of you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, I love this, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Proverbs 17, 13, 18. Notice this. Write this one down. It's so good. Whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever leads correction, heeds correction, is honored. Isn't that good? We have to learn to be teachable. And in this text here, we'll go back to go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It says, like verse 6, like the crackling of thorns under the pot. So is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. I mean, we've all possibly maybe lit a fire outside or maybe gone camping and tried to cook something under the fire. You need something that's going to burn. You throw leaves or pine straw or thorns underneath it, it burns really quick, has really bright, but it doesn't last, right? But wisdom does. Be teachable. Next thing here is this. Guard your heart. 
guard your heart. Put on the cologne of character, be teachable, but also learn to guard your heart. Verse 7, get this. I love this. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. And what he's saying here is even those who are wise, if they're not careful, can become fools. We've all seen people like that before, right? And he's basically getting to a little, dip, a little deeper in the matter here, is that wisdom is lost when compromises are made. You follow me on that? He's saying those of us who are extorted, we, we become silent, and those of us who are bribed lose judgment. And we have to learn to guard our heart. Paul says in the book of Philippians that we need to guard our lives. And the idea of guarding our lives in the book of Philippians is the idea of, of, of a guard being put out in front of a city. In the ancient days, they had cities on hills, and they would build walls around them. And all day long, the community would, would, they would go out, and they would farm, and they would cultivate, they'd take care of the livestock. But at night, they would come inside and bring anything of value inside because of all the people in the world who might attack them and try to steal. And not only were they behind these walls, but they would put guards out, and the guards would look out ready to fight, and at the same time, look out for people not to try to go out and be killed. And here's the point, is that you and I need to learn what it means to guard our lives. What are the weak spots in your wall? What needs to be guarded? I mean, if you struggle with alcohol, don't stop in the liquor store for gum. You know what I'm talking about? Find accountability. Find encouragement. Guard your hearts. Because when you don't, you become silent in your wisdom, and your wisdom becomes distorted. Be teachable. Put on the cologne of character. Guard your heart. But in this last couple ones here is this. And I love this next one. Verse 8 and 9. Get this. The end of the matter is better than its beginning. And patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit. For anger resides in the laps of fools. Now I want you to get this. I love that in verse 8 where it says patience is better than pride. But nobody likes to be patient. Would you all agree on that? I mean we're in a fast food society. We want it right now. But then he goes on a little further in verse 9, don't be quickly provoked in your spirit, meaning don't be impulsive. How many of you guys deal with impulsivity? I mean, impulsive, impulsive decisions happen all the time. I, I, how many of you gone to the gas station and you just want to fill up your car with gas, but man, that candy bar looks good. Boom, I'll buy it. Or maybe you're sitting there watching TV and it's like, I need a new car today, and you just go buy it. I mean, we've all done crazy things like that before. There's a lot of nodding heads. Like, yeah, we did that. Here's the difference between a Snickers bar and a new car, by the way. I would encourage you to go the Snickers route, all right? Less impact. But here's the thing. Impulsive living, write this down. Impulsive living leads to an unstable or unstable life. You get that? Well, we're impulsive in our decisions, and that's why it's so important that we watch the entire movie. And what I mean by that, by watching the entire movie, is you can't figure out what's going to happen by just watching the end. You don't know what's going to happen by just watching the beginning. and You can't fast forward to get the grasp of all the character development. You've got to watch the entire thing. And so the, what he's making the point here is this, is that in your decision making, take the time to finish. Think it through. I'm an impulsive person. My wife is not. And every impulsive decision I've made that's ended up bad, she's standing in the background saying, we didn't think it through. And she's not being mean about it. It's just truth. That's where I have to be teachable to be wise. But man, most of it stinks, doesn't it? We have to understand these things in order to grasp these things. Impulsive living leads to an unstable life. But not only that, stupid games win stupid prizes. 
right? And when we're doing dumb stuff, you're going to get dumb stuff. It's important to recognize that. Watch the movie all the way through. And finally, I want you to get this. Let's go to verse verse 10. I love this. Do not say, why are the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. You ever asked that question? You ever said that? Man, I wish it like it used to be. Have you all ever said that? I mean, it's like, man, my first year of marriage, man, that was great. But what's happened since then? Or I wish it was just like the good old days. Or well, I mean, there's a ton of different phrases that can be used. But we always tend to look backwards on some kind of fond memory instead of looking forward. And here's the thing. That is so unbiblical. God is more concerned about your future than your past. Because what Christ does is he redeems and forgives that past. And we've all got some messed up past. Agreed? But the beauty of the gospel and the power of Christ, he says, I'm going to take all your shortcomings in your past, all your shortcomings in your present, and all the shortcomings you're going to have in the future and forgive those. So here's the deal. Let's make a deal. Leave the past in the past. Leave the past. Even the good stuff. Learn from it. Remember it. Enjoy it. Fond memories, they're great. But let's focus on the future. You get that? Leave your past in the past. Because Christ has taken care of that. Wisdom looks to the future. Wisdom says we're not going to worry about what's happened. We're going to look forward. So the question we naturally ask ourselves at this point, are these current pleasures wrong? Well, no. God wants you to enjoy life. In fact, the greatest way you give glory is to love God and enjoy Him forever. But but the deal is, when that becomes the focal point of your life, and that becomes the pursuit of your life, then that's where we mess up. So how do we begin to understand that? And, And really, to ask ourselves these questions, am I living in wisdom, or am I growing in wisdom? Does that make sense? I mean, whether you're 14 or whether you're 78, Here's the thing. Wisdom is something that needs to be nurtured, applied, and lived out in your life. Period. Are we growing in that? We all saw the horrors of, of Hurricane Michael, right? We're going to be sending some teams or, or a couple folks down this week to look at some of the damage in South Georgia and seeing how we can send mission teams down in the near future. But um, interesting thing about Hurricane Michael is it destroyed the Gulf Coast uh, and, and really, this is in our present day and age. It's like we have a real-time update all the time because of all the cameras there, the news stations, and they're all showing everything that's happened. And um, one of the things that uh, that amazed me was the absolute obliteration that was experienced in Panama City and places like Mexico Beach. In fact, we had a couple who were in Mexico Beach a couple days before, and they had to evacuate. Shouldn't have skipped church. Um, and I'm uh, just playing. <laughs> uh, and so all that said and done, they, they evacuated there. And, and I, I remember looking at their Facebook feed and the profile pictures of when they were in Mexico Beach and then afterward. It was crazy, wasn't it? And all the destruction you got to see. And, um, and I'll never forget uh, looking at a New York Times article about a house. Because if you look at the pictures of Mexico Beach, it just absolutely wiped the place clean. There's nothing left of it except this one house. I want you to show you this picture. That's Mexico Beach. This house is right on the beach. And what the guy who built the owner of the house, he made it hurricane-proof. So instead of putting the pylons 30 feet into the ground, he put them 60 feet into the ground. 
Instead of using regular nails, he used different types of nails. Instead of using regular building materials that you and I would use, he used different types of building materials. He even had a live feed from his home, and he was watching it in Tennessee as all the hurricane stuff was going on, but yet his house survived. Why is that? Because that house was built in wisdom. You get that? And it made it. And the point is, and this is this, all this wisdom stuff, when storms happen, and they will happen, will your house be left standing? Is your house, let's go back to verse 12, is your shelter built in wisdom? Because I want you to notice back what it says in verse 12 again. If you have wisdom, it will preserve you. And what's so fascinating, even as we look at that home and all the destruction around it, and if you got, if you could get a close-up on it, and we can't do that here, you'll still see the chairs sitting out on it. They made it because wisdom happened. The investment happened. You and I make it because wisdom happens, guys. And that wisdom begins with Jesus, Proverbs 1-7, and application afterwards. So are we growing in wisdom? I've been giving you homework after every one of these teachings throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, and today's no different. So here's your homework for the week. Are you all ready for this? You can write this down in your listening guide. I want you to ask yourself three questions, and I want you to answer it either today or some other time. But the three questions are pretty simple. The first question is simply this. What do you need to put on? We talked about that character of cologne. What are some things in your life, in my life, that need to change as it pertains to our character? Where do we need to make adjustments? What do we smell like, you know? What do we need to put on? Is my calling and my faith consistent with my character? You follow that? What do we need to put on? The second question you need to ask yourself is simply this. Who do I need to listen to or what do I need to listen to? There's so many things that go inside of my brain and yours as well. And some of that stuff needs to stop. Would you all agree on that? There's a lot of lies that I listen to. There's a lot of fear that I listen to, a lot of culture, whatever it may be. And so you need to ask yourself, what do I need to listen to? And the thing is, most of us know what it is. We just hate to do it because we'd rather be right than wise, right? What do we need to listen to? And then the last thing is, what do we need to leave behind? Some of us aren't growing in wisdom, but so we're clinging to something we think that gives us joy. We're clinging to a bad teaching. We're clinging to a bad experience. We're clinging to all types of stuff. But here's the thing. What do we need to just drop and leave behind in order to move forward? You follow me on that? Grow in that area of wisdom. And so here's what's so important about this text as we wrap it up this morning. And we begin a new section in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's simply this. Will we choose to be wise and live life under the heavens? Or we continue to live our lives under the sun in a direction that we think is going to fulfill us but never does? That's your decision to make. This morning you were given a connect card as you were coming in. And there's several boxes on that connect card. One says... I want to know who Christ is, and some of us in this room, we've never asked Christ to come into our life. And I want to encourage you, if if that's you this morning, let's take that first step and say, I need to know Jesus, and I'll be calling you tomorrow to help you understand what that means. For others of you, you've never made baptism public. Uh, It's never been a part of your life and made your faith public by being baptized, and you saw that this morning. And so if that's you this morning, I encourage you to check off that box. There are other things on there. Talk to a pastor, get into a life group, but take the next step in order to be wise. You with me on that? Put on the character of Cologne. Be teachable. Guard your heart. Watch the movie all the way through. 
and always leave your past in the past, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We ask, God, very specifically that you would change us and that you would lead us into a greater understanding of you. And that, Father, as we begin to leave these things in our past, that we would acknowledge that you are our future, that we would see you working, and that you would weave in us a yearning and a desire to know you. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the hope we have in Christ. And I pray that in these moments that you'd begin to work in our lives and stir in us an understanding, stir in us a desire, stir in us a yearning to know who you are and to make these next steps. Father, guard our hearts. Help us not be impulsive. Help us to live in wisdom and understand that a good reputation is far better than a fine perfume. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.